This is The Kingdom at Hand from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church in St. James, Minnesota, and I'm Pastor Joe Faldet. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that you would be blessed through this and that God would be at work in your souls as you continue to grow in him. Let's look at Judges 18 and see what God has to say to us. In those days, there was no king in Israel. In those days... The tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for, its ins- for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no, in- no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Ashtol, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, Go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were there, when they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite, and they turned aside and said to him, "Who brought you here? What have you? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here?" And he said to them, "This is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest." And they said to him, "Inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed." And the priest said to them, "Go in peace, the Lord." On which you go, the journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were there and how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth, and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. And when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Ashtol, their brothers said to them, What do you report? They said, Arise. And let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hand, a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. So six hundred men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtol, and went up and encamped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. On this account, the place is called Menaha-Dan to this day. Behold, it is west of Kariath-Jerim. And they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who, were, who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know that in these house, houses there are an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now therefore consider what you will do. And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite, to the home of Micah, and asked him about his welfare. Now the six hundred men of the Danites, armed with the weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, and the household gods, and the metal image, while the priests stood by the entrance of the gate with the six hundred men armed with weapons of war. And when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, And the metal image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? And they said to him, Keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth, and come with us, and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be priests to the house of one man, or to be priests to a tribe and clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the card image and went along with the people. So they turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them, And when they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were were called out, and they overtook the people of Dan. And they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, 
What is the matter with you that you come with such a company? And he said, you take my gods that I made and the priest and go away. And what have I left? How then do you ask me, what is the matter with you? And the people of Dan, Dan said to them, do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. And then the people of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priests who belonged to them, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting, and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer, because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rahab, and they rebuilt the city and lived in it, and they named it the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at first. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Let us pray. Father, as we come to study your word, we ask that you would grant us wisdom and humility. Lord, that you would be glorified and that you would teach us through this. Lord, that we might grow and ultimately, Father, that you might be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, within this story, we, we start to get an idea of when the book of Judges was written and how it was written. The book of Judges wasn't written in chronological order because Dan, the, the tribe of Dan, had not yet taken its place in the north of Israel. Now, that's where their lot had fallen to them. That's where Joshua had sent, you know, had sent them to go. But at this time, we see that they hadn't gone up there yet. No lot, no inheritance had fallen to them, meaning they had yet to conquer anything. And so this is early on in the history of Israel. This is early on in the history of, you know, the post-Joshua time. This is pretty early on in that era. Uh, you know, these were, it, this wasn't at the end of the story in a, in a chronological manner. This is at the end of the story in a logical manner because the, pri the book of Judges was not written to be like just some chronological history, but rather it was written to be an explanation, as far as I can tell, to be an explanation as to why Israel went astray. Not just the northern kingdom, but why the kingdom as a whole went astray. What was the problem with the kings? Why weren't the kings the bastions of uh, nobility that they could have been? Why weren't the Levites? Why weren't the priests? Really, why wasn't the nation of Israel walking in righteousness and holiness? Why did they, how did it come about that they lived in such unrighteousness that they did? And here we start to see some of that story. Well, we don't start to see, we see the culmination of that story uh, with the unrighteousness and the ungodliness of the Levites. Because this was a Levite. This was a Levite that was doing this. This was a Levite that he himself didn't really understand the truth. 
Because he was a priest. He had been made a priest. He'd, he was a priest in the house of Micah in, the, in Ephraim when Shiloh was right there. In Ephraim. This is in the hill country of Ephraim. This is the same region within the same tribe where the tabernacle existed. This is where the, the tabernacle of God was. And so, it's so frustrating. It's so hard to see because the Levites, they were supposed to be the ones that knew better. The Levites were supposed to be the ones that understood. This wasn't just an a Levite either. This was a Levite of the descent of Moses. And so this is Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses. And theoretically then, this man is a grandson to Moses. Think about that. Now, that word son in scripture. So my, my grandfather's name is Anton. My father's name is David. I'm Joe, Joseph. And then my son's name is Anton as well. And so theoretically, we could call my son Anton, the son of David. So David, the son of, or the, uh, Anton, the son of David. Now, they skipped me in that generation, uh, the gener- my generation, because, you know, for whatever reason, but you could do that within the biblical genealogies, uh, as, as far as I can tell from studying research. I know some people disagree with that, and that's fine. Um, but what's going on here is this, this, is in the line, at very least, of Moses. This is in his line. And so this is a Levite of the line of Moses. This is someone that should know better. But they don't. And we're not told why. We're not told that they're being malicious. We're not told that they're being cruel. We're not told that he is rebelling against God intentionally. We're not told any of that stuff. We're not told any of his motivations. He's here other than the fact that he is being paid. He's here doing this stuff because he's being paid. He's looking for money. He's getting clothes. He's getting a place to stay. He's getting a stipend. He's getting his living. Life is good. Except for the fact that he's not walking in godliness. And so we see this ungodliness starting in Jonathan the son of Gershom, the son of Moses. You see this ungodliness starting in him really due to a lack of understanding. Either one, a lack of understanding. He doesn't know what the word of God is. Because that's always a possibility. And it's been told to me that we shouldn't describe malice to that which ignorance can explain. And so we're hoping, I'm hoping, that Jonathan here is just ignorant of the word of God. He's ignorant. Now, he's a grandson of Moses. He shouldn't be ignorant of the word of God. Well, just because someone should or shouldn't be something doesn't mean they aren't. And so, Jonathan should know the word of God, but I'm hoping that he doesn't, that he's just doing this in ignorance. But in that ignorance then, or it's always possible that he doesn't care. So, he knows that the word of God says that he is not to be a priest, but he doesn't care because everything's good. You know, he can make a lot of money as a priest. Even though he's not supposed to be a priest, he can make a lot of money as a priest. He can do what he maybe feels called to do as a priest, even though he's not supposed to be a priest. And so he doesn't really care what the Word of God says. That's always a possibility too. Because he still claims to be following the Lord. He still claims to be a priest of Yahweh. The priest of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he still claims to be a priest of that God. 
Because when he speaks, he speaks in the name of the Lord. He claims knowledge from the Lord. And so he at least is within this religion of worship of Yahweh. Now I think this is interesting. Especially I as pastor. But really within the whole realm of American Christianity, the whole realm of Christianity as a whole, I think it's interesting because there are offices that you can hold within the American Christian church. There are offices such as pastor or as bishop where you don't get questioned anymore. Well, they're the pastor. They know better. That doesn't, I don't know how that squares with the word of God, but they're the pastor. And so they shouldn't be questioned. They shouldn't be challenged. You know, the sad thing is, and this is something as a pastor, I think I have by all means the platform to speak to and really the need to speak about. We as pastors can go astray like anybody else can. We as pastors can, can live in ignorance or live in malice or live in um, just that apathy towards the Word of God. Ignorance of the Word of God, malice towards God, or apathy in the Word of God. I can, I can live in that as a pastor just like anybody else in this world can live. Just because I'm a pastor, just because I'm the leader of a church, that doesn't mean anything towards my holiness. Just because I graduated seminary, just because I had the stamp of approval of a denomination, doesn't mean anything ultimately. Ultimately. Because I can still harden my heart against God. So what should have been done to Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses? There should have been someone. Note that. We don't know where these people are. There should have been someone to take the word of God, to take the books of Moses to Jonathan and say, Hey, this is what your grandfather wrote and this is what you're doing. He should have been rebuked. Somewhere along the line, he should have been rebuked because the word of God was to be their guide. The word of God was to lead them. It was to to structure their worship, to structure their sacrifices. It was supposed to structure their lives. The word of God existed for that purpose and the word of God exists today for that purpose. And so when pastors are wandering away from the truth, when churches are wandering away from the truth, there needs to be someone who's got the word of God. And now as American Christians, we have zero excuse. But there needs to be someone who has the word of God, who has read the word of God, to say, you know what you're doing and what you're saying doesn't line up with God's revealed word. There needs to be someone to correct. Because what happens then when there isn't someone to correct? What happens when someone who's living in ignorance will just claim ignorance? We'll hope for ignorance. Ignorance is a great place to be because ignorance is imminently correctable. You can always correct ignorance just by bringing the truth to bear. Just by bringing the truth into the situation. 
The ignorant person will listen to the truth. Now, if you have someone that's apathetic, I don't care what God's word says, or malicious, even though God's word says that, I'm not going to follow it. Now, those second two, they're a lot harder. And really, the condemnation of those people, it's on their own heads. It's on their own heads. But we don't know the difference until we bring the word of God to them. We hope for ignorance. But there's always a possibility of apathy or malice. And if you bring the word of God to those sorts of people, to someone who is apathetic or malicious, their condemnation is on their head. It's not our job to convince them, but it's our job to bring the word of God to them to correct any ignorance that exists. Because if someone doesn't do that, the sin doesn't stop in the small area that it's affecting. It doesn't just affect Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses. It doesn't just affect him. It doesn't just affect Micah and his household. Rather, it affects everybody around Micah and his household then too. Because we see that when Jonathan is taken by the Danites, towards the end of this story, um, okay, in verse 22, When they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out and they overtook the people of Dan. And so Micah is calling on his neighbors then to come and get back his idols, to come and get back his uh, priest, to come and get back these things. And so this sin of Jonathan's, this sin of Micah's, is now having an effect within this greater area. Because it's now affecting the people right around Micah as well. It doesn't just remain in a single individual. It always spreads. It started with Micah and then it corrupted Jonathan. And then from Jonathan though, because Micah, he himself, probably not all that powerful. This never would have went anywhere. But now that Jonathan's involved in it, he's got some legitimacy. Now that this legitimate one is corrupted, it starts to spread out. And not only does it spread out to the people around Micah, it spreads out to the Danites. Because the Danites coming in ignorance again, hopefully in ignorance, not knowing what the word of God says, hopefully, they go up to Jonathan. They ask him, hey, you know, we're, we're seeking out a land for ourselves we're, we're looking for a place that's, you know, that we can live. And so then they go up to Jonathan as a priest. And they seek his guidance. They ask, consult the Lord for us. Let me read that real quick. Verse 5. And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And so they're asking that Jonathan would inquire of God. That Jonathan would inquire of the God who is over all. Actually, yep, that's uh, the, Elo- the word Elohim. So inquire of God, please. So the God that is over all. Inquire of the one that is over all. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. And so Jonathan is claiming the Lord has spoken to him. The Lord has shown him. He is blessing them 
in the name of the Lord, even though he himself isn't walking in the Lord's ways. And so by him claiming this, by claiming in the name of the Lord, the journey on which you, are, which you go is under the eye of the Lord. He is speaking a blessing from the Lord. That's what he's doing. And so from here on out, well actually not, not only here on out, but within his interaction with the Danites, Jonathan is now leading the Danites astray. Now the Danites being led astray isn't to their destruction by the grace of God because the place that they had been given had already come from Moses. You know, it already come from Joshua. Joshua had already given them the lot. He had already sent them off. They were already supposed to be going there. And so what Jonathan is doing is he's just encouraging them again in what God had already given them. But nevertheless, in their thinking, in their approach to this, they're not approaching it in obedience to Joshua. They're approaching it in obedience to this false priest, this Levite, who isn't walking in the truth. Now they're thinking that this Levite knows God, that he knows the Lord, that he understands the way of the Lord. And so they go up to Laish and everything's good. Cool. You know, there's, the Sidonians are there, but they're peaceful. They don't have any walls and they're rich. And so this is prime land now. And so we actually see the author of the book of Judges leveling a claim against pragmatism, <laughs> which pragmatism is American philosophy that says whatever works is good. That's what's true. If it works, it's true. If it works, it's good. And so what the Danites are doing here, are interacting with, is pragmatism. They hear the Levite saying, they hear the priest saying, where you're going to go is we'll succeed. And then they go and then they find good success. So, what's the logical conclusion? Oh, this priest actually is speaking from God. This priest actually is speaking from the Lord. Because what he said worked. Well, that's not always true. As we'll see as we go on, we see how the Lord will sometimes call us into difficulty and the Lord will sometimes call us into hardship in order to purify us, in order to bring us through that hardship. Not for, a, not for a success, like this roaring success, but rather in order to train us. We see that in the next couple chapters when we get with the Levite and his concubine and the scouring of Benjamin. Um, that'll be an interesting one to preach on too. But what we have here is we have success, and success then breeds trust in the priest. So when the Danites come back to, you know, when the five spies come back to their tribe, they say, hey, we found success. Hey, there's this, this Levite, there's this priest. They passed from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came up to the house of Micah. And the five men who had gone to scout out, um, scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know that in these houses there are an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now therefore consider what you will do. And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levites and to the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. And so what are they doing? 
What are they doing? They're taking these idols, they're taking these images, they're taking this ephod, they're taking all of this stuff that is tied in with cultic worship. They're taking the Levite himself, they're stealing all of these things like there's some talisman or some token. Taking that which represents, which is supposed to represent the favor of the Lord instead of walking with the Lord himself. And so we see how this sin now is spreading from Micah to Jonathan, from Jonathan to the five spies, from the five spies to the whole tribe of Dan. And you know, within this, there's nobody stepping up and saying, hey, this isn't right. There's nobody stepping up saying this isn't the way it's supposed to be. There's nobody stepping up and saying, stop, this is not what the Word of God says. Nobody is stepping up to proclaim the Word of God into this situation. Nobody is being a witness to the Lord. They all think they're doing the right thing. Hopefully they're all living in ignorance. Because believe it or not, ignorance is a possibility. We hope for ignorance. So then we speak the truth. Speak the truth into the situation. What does the Word of God actually say? Bring that to bear. No, this guy's not supposed to be a priest. No, he is not of the right line. He is not in the right place. And the Lord does not want idols. Period. Not representations of him. He doesn't want that. He said not to in ten words of Moses, ten commandments. He said not to. They didn't hear. They didn't understand. They didn't listen. So the sin spread. So the sin of the individual actually becomes the sin of the group because the whole group now is being drawn into the sin. The sin becomes a corporate sin. And this is the other reality that we live in and that we miss as Americans. That my sin is really a corporate sin. That your sin is really a corporate sin. That our sins affect everybody around us. It's not just my life. It's not just my sin. I don't just get to live my life however I want, thinking that that'll have no ripples, no repercussions. I can't do that. I can't say that. Because the sin of Micah has now affected the whole tribe of Dan. Think about that. The sin of the one has now affected the group as a whole. And so this is why your sin, this is why my sin, why they're such a big deal, why they need to be repented of, why they need to be forgiven. And the glory of God is that we can repent, that we can come to God in forgiveness. Sorry, I'm being attacked by a fly here. That we can come to God for, for forgiveness in repentance and receive that forgiveness. This is what Jesus has done on the cross for us. That we can come to Jesus for forgiveness. That we can come to Jesus for light and for life. We can come to Christ. This is the promise that we have. No matter what distractions are there, we're called to come. No matter what irritations come into our lives, we're called to come. To come to Jesus to receive this which he has for us.
Because we never know what the long-term effects of our sin is. This is why we never walk in sin. Why we keep coming back and keep coming back in repentance and confession every time a new sin comes up or an old sin comes again. Deal with it. Come to Jesus in repentance and confession. Because what happens if we don't? After we've dealt with our sins, after we've brought our known sins to the Lord in repentance and confession, after they've been forgiven by God, then we don't need to fear. Then we can come. Then we can come to the Lord. And we can come in the name of the Lord as one who's been forgiven, not as one who is sinless. Because we don't come as those who are sinless. No, we come as those who are forgiven. Those who have repented. Those who have confessed. That's how we come. That's how we come to this world. Not as perfect people. We don't come to this world as perfect people. We come to this world as repentant people. As people who have confessed their sins. As people who have been forgiven. As people who claim the blood of Christ. That's how we come. And then we come in authority. They say, well, you're not sinless. We can say, I know. I'm not sinless. I can list off a whole bunch of them and that'll help you. But you need to do what I have done. And you need to repent. You need to confess. You need to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. This is what we're called to. This is what I call you to today. I call you to repent of your sin, that bitterness within your heart, that, that fear that you're living in. To repent of that. Ask God to forgive you for your hardness. Ask God to forgive you for your ignorance. Ask God to reveal your sin to you. Say, I don't know any sins in my life. Then ask God to reveal them to you that you might confess them and draw near to Christ. Verse 27. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made. Note that. What Micah had made. And the priest who belonged to him. And they came to Laish to a people quiet and unsuspecting and struck, struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And they're going to jump down. Verse 30. The people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites, until the day of the captivity of the land. And they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. How far did this sin spread? How far did this sin go? This sin started by Micah in ignorance, wanting to worship the Lord, but not understanding the truth of God. This sin that started in Micah, that then corrupted Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses. Corrupted Jonathan. And then Jonathan took that and corrupted the Danites. And from the Danites, corrupted the spies. From the spies, he corrupted the whole tribe of Dan. From the whole tribe of Dan, he corrupted it from generation to generation to generation until the captivity of the land. Think of that. Until the Assyrians 
came in. At that point, God finally said, it's done. God cut it off completely. Absolutely. There's some people who think that this worship in Dan was actually the thing that spread down with Jeroboam into Samaria. That this worship of this false worship of the Lord, this syncretistic worship of the Lord that happened in Dan, that, that was the thing that corrupted the whole northern kingdom. So how did it come to be that the sin of an individual could corrupt a whole nation? It was never repented of. It was never confessed as sin. It was never forgiven. It was never called out until it was too late. Till it was too late. Think of that. So this is why we call out sin. We call it sin for what it is. We stand as Christians in righteousness, not because we are righteous, but because we know how to deal with sin. We confess it. We repent of it. And we receive the forgiveness of Christ. Forgiveness doesn't mean we don't repent. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we don't call it out. It means that we face it eye to eye and bring it to Jesus. That's what that means. That's what we do. That's what America needs. That's what the world needs. The world needs individuals who are willing to confront their own sin and then to confront the sin of the world. Now, I don't, I don't think you should confront our government for making bad laws, foolish laws. We can confront them on a political level, but we can't call that sin. I can't call that sin. I can't call foolishness sin. Can't do that. This whole mask mandate and all of that stuff. All of this stuff with this coronavirus, a lot of the stuff that's being proclaimed nowadays in American politics, both left and right. Some of this stuff is sin. Some of it's not. Some of it's just plain old foolishness. Some of it's bad decisions. A bad decision, thankfully, isn't necessarily sin. There is sin in our lives. There's sin in our culture that needs to be dealt with. Brothers and sisters, if you have dealt with your own sin, then we need to start standing up and interacting with the world that doesn't know how to deal with it or that denies that they are sinful or they level the claim against you, well, you're not so high and holy. We can agree with that and say, you know what, you're right. And then you have an opportunity to bring the gospel. Because we, need, we live in a world that needs to know how to deal with sin. It isn't by covering it over. It's not by taking pride in it. It's not by allowing the culture then to pat you on the back for it and say it's not that bad. We deal with sin by confessing it to God as sin. By repenting of it. By turning away from it. By walking in righteousness. And by receiving that forgiveness from Jesus. turn back to God and receive his forgiveness.
Because that's what our world needs. Because we live in a culture, we live in a world full of sin. And they need Jesus. As much as we do. And we hope they're living in ignorance. Not knowing what God has called them to. That's our hope. And so then we bring the truth of God into their lives. Not just blasting them about their sin. but Blasting them about their sin and then telling them, hey, but there's hope. There's hope. Because that's what the hope that we hold to. And that's what we can share into this world. Because there's something else here. The warning stands. Verse 30, And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. God closed the book on the Danites. God brought destruction. See, so while we're Americans, while we're rich, while we're powerful, while we have a good economy, in the day of judgment, none of those things will stand. God will bring destruction upon America. God will bring destruction upon us as individuals. God has the ability to cast us both body and soul into hell. This is a big deal. Don't take it lightly. Deal with your sin today. Confess it. Repent of it. Deal with it. Once you've dealt with it, once you've received the forgiveness of Christ, then help your brother who's got the speck. Show him how to deal with it too. Show him how to confess and repent and receive the forgiveness of God. But until you've dealt with your sin, until you've confessed it and repented of it, you don't have any hope to offer the world because that is our hope. Jesus, the truth of God, that is our hope. The wisdom of God. The word of God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word that guides us. Lord, thank you for your truth that leads us. Thank you for your law that breaks us. Lord, guide us in your truth. Guide us through your word. Help us to walk in righteousness. Lord, to to seek to walk in righteousness and then to receive the forgiveness that you have for us when we fail. Because we do. We thank you for the call to be all the more righteous. Just get up. Try again. Lord, we thank you for training us in righteousness. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.